Oh, so how are, how are your uh, how are your arms? How how are you how are your tender your tender bits your fingers? <laughs> don't oh my don't go there. <laughs> well, actually, what's funny is the tips of my fingers do hurt because trying to like contort to get to the wire har- harness for the sensor, you got to do it all with one hand. There's there's no way you can get two hands in this <laughs> smaller place. So yeah, you've got to, you know how it's got like the little locking cap on it on the actual sensor itself. It's got oh, kind of wait, like a, a little. Wait, wait, before you get, you, you, you got to just like catch everybody up. And so they know what you're nah. talking before you get into your tiny hand story. Tiny hand story. <laughs> this is, this is not a tiny hand story. But yeah, so uh, I think on the last episode, we talked about a, a check engine light that came on and doing a little bit of research, finding out that it was a really cheap part with a really tough place to get. So going, <laughs> going and buying the part, easy, you know, having the part in your hand, easy. Swapping that part out for the old part, challenge. <laughs> so we originally talked about potential things we could steal from the automotive industry and, and tap into architecture, which led to, uh, you've got to go work on your car, right? So, so that's what's yes. happened between this episode and the last episode is you took your, the job into your own hands and you, you went in to swap out this bad sensor. Yeah. So it was a, apparently it's a, a part problem that plagues all GMs because there's like a thousand and one different videos on YouTube that, you know, to show everything from a professional mechanic all the way down to the shade tree mechanic that has to bleep themselves out at least a hundred times during the span <laughs> of a 10 video. Yes. And it was, and it's basically the why engineers are not mechanics or why they hate mechanics mm-hmm. or non-company mechanics, however you want to frame it, phrase it or whatever. Right. So a simple... Its technical term is ambient temperature sensor, but really it's the sensor that my temperature gauge is flatlined, which means that it's not actually reading. It's not a failed thermostat. It's just this failed sensor that actually tells you and the radiator fans what the temperature of the actual engine is. And when that sensor goes bad and the gauge flatlines, actually telling the the engine, hey, I'm overheating crank on the fans. Well, it doesn't mean that your car is actually overheating, but the fans are going at 100 miles an hour, and usually they only come on if you know, the temperatures in your truck is burning hot. And yep. so it wasn't burning hot. It was just bad sensor. Fans are on all the time. You can burn the fans out. So obviously you want to fix that. Yeah. You know, have a professional fix them or pull do up on your yourself. Or do it yourself. And yes. It was really easy to do yourself if is that an air quotes? Class, yes if you're plastic man is that what you're gonna say <laughs> yes exactly. or, um, or this is where this is where the tiny hands reference came in you got to have tiny hands to work on these these modern machines well the good thing is is that i have i don't have tiny hands i actually have pretty large hands but let the record show i have yeah. long yes i have you know exactly. <laughs> um, we won't go there anyway so I also am double jointed. So I, and that is really the only thing that was saving on this particular thing. <laughs> was that, is that in the Haynes manual? It's like double jointed is a requirement to perform this, this uh, maintenance. Well, you know, I mean, there's something that's got to be in the Haynes manual to basically inform you. There is almost a complete impossibility that if you don't remove half of the engine bay, you know, obviously, you know, you lift the hood, you're staring at plastic, right? You're not staring at an engine, you're staring at 
trim. It's to like cover a, it, yeah, it's like the modern version of a no trespassing sign, right? It's just exactly. don't go, don't go there, man. Take it to a authorized dealer for your mechanical up, updates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you take off all of the plastic, which entails a nice little like shroud that looks like a intake manifold, but it's just a piece of plastic that you know makes it look fancy. Which is funny because when you take it off, it's like the Batman chests, uh, you know, like with all the muscles ribbed into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. because like the Halloween when costume. You, when you take it off, there's a good between that cover. And the actual top of the engine where the actual intake manifold is, is easily a good, I don't know, 14 inches of like just dead space. (laughs) It's got wires and tubes and crap. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, why? Why? I mean, you know, what's the facade? Yeah. You know, which is so funny because they literally like, here's your power plant and here's the facade to cover it over. You know, and it's like when we like, here's your mechanical room and here's the facade to cover it all over just so you will never see that, you know, it's the, it's the Oz of it all. Yeah, totally. Behind and, the and curtain. So you, yeah. So you take it all off and then of course there's like wiring harnesses you got to loosen up and then you've got to, there's a couple of different uh, like pumps and things like that that are in the way. And if you take off all of that, tend to be extraordinarily flexible, a la, you know, plastic man. And are able to like reach down in between a bunch of things, twist your arm around, grab a hold of the top of the sensor wiring and hope that you can like jimmy your little fingers down in between the the wiring harness, like this little release pin, flap, trap, whatever it is that, you know, they call the stupid little thing that locks the wiring harness in place. Once you actually like lift, lift that up and pull that off, but because you need quite a bit of like, you know, resistance on it because it's a a weather tight cap that goes on there, you have to have a lot of like finger strength to like pop it off. But like most of your strength is like taken up by the contortion. Yeah. You have no mechanical advantage at all. None, none. And there's no leverage or anything like that, you know, because you're, you're now trying to like do the, I, I honestly thought that the worst activity working on the headlights was was a horrible experience because you have to go through the wheel well for that which whatever doesn't make sense anyway yeah i I digress (laughs) but this i mean there's i I watched one video of this guy who had basically taken essentially the front clip or like the grill basically the bumper assembly yeah completely off right so that you can basically stare right at it still doesn't make it any easier to like actually like pop the, the cap off but at least you actually have a little bit more yeah. room to work on it and and i think you referenced this in the last episode but i have done exactly this to replace the headlights on the toyota sienna minivan that we have exactly yeah and, took the whole front end apart yep and it's um and you're like why why headlights why right they're literally you lift the the hood and they're like sitting right there. Remember the good old days when you could just go like my Toyota Avalon, you pop the hood and you can see where the wires go into the back of the headlights. It's quick and easy. Yeah, no, the bulbs the are days, the bulbs are no problem, but if you want to replace the whole lens because they're like old and yellow, like the van is like 15 years old, right? So they're yellow oh, and so. scratched and it's like, "Now I want to replace the whole thing and get them on eBay for cheap." They look great. It like makes your car look new again. And no, you got to take the whole front end <laughs> apart to do that. Okay. It's, so it's crazy. That, 
So that's a little bit different than just replacing the bulb. Yeah. All I was trying to do is replace the bulb. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, back back in the old days, it was all just one thing, right? Like the square five by seven, you know, rectangular. No, okay. That was super. That was all one lights. thing. Now now it's like this Xeon or halogen or LED or whatever it plugged yeah, into the back exactly. of a lens, like a crazy lens contrapment. Contra- yeah, it's this. Yeah, it's great. And don't even get me started on trying to replace the side marker lights. <laughs> That's, you, I mean, I, you, it's death by a thousand cuts. Absolutely. Because yeah. you have to contort yourself around like the bare edge metal of yep. your wheel well. Yep. And you're just sitting there and trying to like rub back and forth to like get the leverage to like undo it. And then you look down and it literally is just like little slice marks. Oh yeah. It doesn't uh, matter if it's plastic or metal, it's going to cut you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So the the one I think reliable and I we talked about it in the last episode though, the one reliable YouTube video that I had from trying to, you know, figure out how to to do this, this, you know, one mechanic had it down to and he had some, you know, pretty interesting specialty parts or specialty tools to use. And he had it down to like 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, well, you know, 30 minutes. I think I said in the last episode that I carved out like two hours. Mm -hmm. And so went, got all my parts, got everything ready to go, pulled all the tools out, you know, parked the thing, let it cool off. And then it, it actually, surprisingly enough, I not only replaced the sensor, but I also was adventurous enough because I did have, I noticed that I had a, headlight out and when i replace a headlight i was actually going to the brighter headlight so i replaced both headlights so i i doubled my misery actually in this particular (laughs) case i tripled my misery and so i i did all of that and surprisingly enough i did all of that in one hour that's amazing which was you know and my wife was just like you just i mean she goes it's impressive she goes because i used to have the old haynes manuals and I'd flip them open and I'd look at it. And then I look at the tire. Okay, I took, pulled off the tire, pulled off the drum brake. I see all of these springs. And that's back in the day when they used to have drum brakes. Right. And see all these springs. And, you know, all of the springs are crisscrossing over every, each other. And so there is a very specific way that all of those springs go in back in the day when it was prior to like cell phones and cameras and all that other stuff. You just literally have to like make a mental picture of it or do a hand sketch of it or whatever of how it went in. So when you take it apart, you basically reverse the action and go back in. This time I just had keep rewinding just to make sure I like understood where that stupid clip was that was holding the damn wiring harness in. It was so funny. It was like, I was struggling with it, struggling with it, struggling with it. It was probably like, no, 10 minutes goes by and I'm like, I, I can't get the thing undone. So I rewind the video. I watched it again. I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. And then I reached down and I popped the thing, pull it off. Just, just like that. I'm like, YouTube is I, the new Haynes manual. Yeah. And, and for all those people, oh all those youngsters out there who don't know what a Haynes manual is, we'll put a link in the show notes so that, so that, yes. cause they were a lifesaver and this, this, okay. So why are we talking about this? I, I kind of, you know, obviously we're doing some follow up from the last one and we wanted to hear about your success <laughs> or failure. Um, so it sounds like right, it was right, a success, right. but also success. like when we're designing buildings, uh, it's interesting, right? Because uh, now all of the Revit families have, like, especially when it comes to mechanical equipment, is what I'm thinking of specifically. Is they actually have these clearances built in to the family, mm-hmm. so that you know yes. how far away from everything adjacent that thing needs to be. 
And when you think about automotive design or aerospace or whatever, when it's completely packed into the tightest, most efficient shell possible, mm-hmm. a lot of times the answer is like pull the motor, right? So when yeah, when I had exactly. a I had an eighty seven Porsche nine eleven, and and seriously, that was the answer to more things than you cared to ever hear about. It was like. You want to change the timing chain? Pull the motor. You want to change the spark plugs? Pull the motor. You want it? It was like if you want to do an oil change, pull the motor. No, it wasn't that bad, but it but it seemed like pretty it. pretty damn close. And and it wasn't difficult to pull the motor. Like they designed it so that you know you jack the car up the engine, you can just undo a couple of bolts and it comes out the bottom. If you have all the equipment to do that, mm-hmm. and then you think about these Haynes manuals, which were not designed by the manufacturer the manufacturer probably hated these things right because they're basically reverse engineering all of the original engineering that went into how to put the car together um and and right like like these manuals were a survival manual for the shade tree mechanic and i love them too like you go to a garage sale and you see one and you have to pick it up because it's got all these beautiful Mm -hmm. diagrams in it with all these says for it's 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 it they're amazing like these publications are amazing because they basically told you like you just kind of like laid out about the drum break is like here's the exact order you need to do this in because if you don't like that spring's going to shoot across the garage you're never going to find it again or you're never going to get put back together right and you're going to die when you go off the edge of a cliff because your brakes didn't work exactly yeah and, and so these a matter of death yeah these these manuals are are awesome because somebody you know the haynes corporation took it into their own hands to like basically teach everyone how to work on their car taking all of these things into account and so then when we design buildings we don't do this either right we're we're like the the, the car designer where if mm-hmm. if if you're lucky, everything goes together right the first time. Um, but when you right. when right. somebody else in 20 years has to take that HVAC system out and re, you know or fix something on it, is there a place to even do that? Like I, I've worked on a building that it had mechanical rooms, and there was one two story room, and there was one three story room inside the right. building because right. the air handling units were so large because it was a science building, and there was a lot of air exchange that had to happen. And it's like this machine has to get built inside of a space and the machine is made out of such large parts, like <laughs> what happens when something goes wrong in the future? And you start to, you have to think about that and go through that process rather than just like a machine being dropped on a roof by a crane, right? Which can then be popped back off. Not not easily, you got to have a crane, yeah, exactly. but still, like it's not inside the building kind of buried behind not only walls, but other spaces too. So what's interesting is, so the the current project that I'm working on, it's an existing building, and we're doing an addition to the existing building, and all of the floor-to-floor heights match the old 1960 building, and I've probably said this a couple times, it's 12-foot-8 floor-to-floor. Modern mechanical systems need a heck of a lot more, especially with lab buildings, when you've got a lot of mechanically heavy things going on. Well, and especially now during COVID, even, and they're talking about air exchange, where exactly. it's always previously been like, what's the smallest system we can spec? <laughs> now it's right. not exactly. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. yeah. So we have 15 stories. And so at the very top of that is where all of the mechanical systems are. But because we know that we couldn't get our primary trunk lines down 
in through chases and stuff because it would eat up valuable footprint. We basically saddlebagged it. And for those of you who do know what it means is that you're basically putting your mechanical systems along the sides of your building and then feeding in from the outside in. And so that's what we ended up doing in and so that's that's very you know if you think about it and and what's interesting about it is is that like the the mind of like an automotive engineer or you know you and I are are maybe not like deep into it gearheads but we are you know car guys and we love cars and you know that thinking of like how you get your power plant and then your exhaust and all of that other stuff to basically be in the car and exiting out of the car much like the exhaust system but without being seen yeah is basically the exact same challenge that we have mm-hmm. when we're designing a building is, you know, trying to basically get all of this intake and ex, you know, exhaust and everything else in and out of this building without being seen. Luckily ours isn't going 90 miles an hour down the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the interesting things is you may talk about how, you know, you'd crane it in there and hope that at least through your lifespan, that none of the mechanical system goes down because then they'll say, what was Evan thinking? Now right. we can't get this stuff out. Well, <laughs> where's my we clearance? Uh-huh. Exactly. So one of the things that we had to do in this particular building is we've got a, a 9,000 pound elevator so that you could basically disassemble the mechanical system down to its smallest, largest part, be able to figure out a way to like crane it through to that elevator, take it down to the loading dock and then out the door. But it's just this, we're thinking about in a lot of cases, we have to always think about the maintenance and the serviceability. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of going back to that, the analogy of automotive engineers seem to hate the shade tree mechanic because they're not really giving them enough room to actually like operate or repair the car. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to take that into account. We always seem to have to think about, and especially in public works, you know, we're a lot of times we're maintenance driven. And so when you're maintenance driven, you actually have to get all of that clearance of like, I, th- I think, you know, my, my most favorite one is like, oh, we can't do two by two ACT ceiling tiles because that guy over there can't fit, he can't fit up there, <laughs> you know, and so, they, can't fit. you know, yep. they make us think about those things and right. we, we do all that stuff. And so thank you to all of the automotive engineers for making, designing everything down to the nth degree because you suck. Box of band-aids, man. <laughs> <laughs> box of band-aids yeah they should they should literally like so oh what They're go in the glove into compartment. advanced auto parts yeah you, you just let's say go into advanced auto parts or whoever else and you know you walk in there and you ask for the part they're like oh are you doing this yourself like yes oh well, the um, first aid kits are over there too <laughs> just go ahead and just get get the first aid kit because you know you're gonna i know you're gonna need it you're so, gonna need it yeah you're gonna need it <laughs>